first of all, I just want to state that I disagree with the entire premise of preference order. And I think all movies should be rated on a binary scale. And like making a top 10 is just ridiculous. Now, gentlemen, I have summoned you, my two trusted and loyal friends, to divulge a secret that even I myself can hardly comprehend. You've made a new discovery, Charles? A discovery? Yes. I have found another world. A what? Another world, you say? Exactly. Would you please snap off the lights, Doctor? Oh, that switch there. Yes, certainly. Gentlemen... I plan to enter that world in the movie. Astounding. Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Watch It, the movie review slash discussion podcast. We don't have any particular movie this week. Instead, we'll just be uh, reviewing the movies that came out this year, talking about our favorite movies of the year, what we thought were the most overrated and underrated movies of the year. I'm Will Moore, and joining me are my friends Philip Sitter. Hey! Jared McNett. Hi! Hey, hey! Hello! How are you? And Max Havy. Good morning, good evening, and good night. Okay, Truman. Awesome. <laughs> start, start with the most overrated movie of the year. In my opinion, was um crazy rich asians the most overrated movie of the yes year? yes i do think so okay and How i do so? want to i do want to preface like all of this by saying i don't think any particular movie at least of what i've seen was wildly over or underestimated so even though i think it's more overrated than any other movie it wasn't in my mind grossly overrated like within it's just like a standard and a half deviation away from what i thought it should be um, and I think this movie will probably deservedly get nominated for an Academy Award for costume design and maybe set design. Uh, but overall, it just was like a pretty generic romantic comedy with some like good stuff. I mean, it was overall enjoyable. I didn't regret seeing it, um, but it was pretty boilerplate and it got really good reviews. On Metacritic right now, it's at a 74 which is just pretty high, and I would put it more like deserving to be at maybe a 60, which is still positive. But again, and, and the main character's family was pretty unlikable because they were just grossly wealthy. So maybe that's just my like anti-capitalist person within me revolting against that aspect of the movie. Um, I think it probably it got a lot of recognition because it has it's a romantic comedy with mostly Asian cast and so that's always good so I don't begrudge it it's high critical consensus I just think it was overrated I mean it, it was it was a groundbreaking film for what it was like it was one of the first films in what like 10 years that it had gotten with like a, a predominant with an entirely Asian American cast in America to break box office records like it was it was groundbreaking just not for people like us yeah yeah so yeah. again I don't begrudge it it's it's high rating at all and I hope a lot of people saw it, and I hope a lot of people watch it so that more movies with my diverse cast like this can be made. Just, it was pretty generic other than that factor. And as I said, the costume and set design, which was actually pretty amazing, especially that wedding scene. Is it fair to say that groundbreaking movies tend to run the risk of being overrated because they bear so much weight? Like they have this extra burden of representation? I feel like the opposite. If you're groundbreaking, you're more likely to be underrated and then appreciated later. 
Like Avatar. <laughs> uh, thinking like the classic example is Moby Dick. Yep. Uh, I go to that one way too much in my wheel well. Um, all right, I, I'll do my uh, overrated next. Um, well, if you might want to, you might want to cover your ears for this because you're not gonna like it. Uh, my overrated is "Won't You Be My Neighbor," um, and it would actually probably still be in my top ten if it didn't get elbowed out by some other things. It's just a, like. The, it's made fine for like a documentary but like in terms of the filmmaking for a documentary it doesn't really stand out I think one reason that movie got so much love is because people have such a fondness for Mr. Rogers and also like our present reality is pretty shitty and so seeing a movie about a fundamentally decent human being is going to make people like pretty happy and I think that probably is what drove to it being overrated like last time i checked it's still in the like i think high 80s at least on metacritic so yeah that's my that's my overrated is uh won't you be my neighbor philip your rebuttal Uh, no i mean i would agree with pretty much all that like i mean it is as high as it is on my list for the reasons i think you think it's overrated actually so (laughs) like it, it is because i want like a decent human being at the center of something so all right, what? What's your overrated, Philip? Well, Ooh. hold on. Max sounded like he had something to say, and I yeah, no, I, I was I was gonna else. I was gonna interject and say that I agree with Jared. I almost I actually almost wrote "Won't You Be My Neighbor" for mine, but I, that felt cynical to me. Uh, I well, think I don't that, have a problem with being a cynical bastard. No, it's 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 fine. Like I I think it's I think it's a perfectly enjoyable film. There's nothing particularly challenging about it as a documentary, but I think it's a cool portrait of Mr. Rogers as a person. It, it didn't make my year-end list. Like if when it was like maybe an honorable mention, but like with like other stuff that people are doing with documentaries, like yes, it's an effective film, and it you know probably skews into saccharine territory that not everybody wants from their documentary. But like all in all, I understand why you think it's overrated, and I almost said the same thing. In terms of filmmaking for a documentary, like Three Identical Strangers or like um, Minding the Gap is a lot are much much better. I watched far too few documentaries this year. Yeah. Well, what is your uh, overrated? Uh, I've been struggling with this for like the past hour, and uh, I, I don't feel like I have a really definitive answer. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> All right, Max, what's your overrated? Yeah, so my overrated is absolutely far and away uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Brian Singer's film, which honestly not even Brian Singer's film. Uh, the film that basically didn't have a director, stars Rami Malek with some really wild dentures, uh, or I guess dental, well, I, don't, I don't even know what you'd call it, but like has got some wild teeth going on. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I had some major problems with Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, a, it's not really even a movie. It's a uh, <laughs> It's kind of like a loose framework to put songs around, which has worked for other films like Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine. But in this case, it's, uh, it, it cherry picks various elements of real life uh, from the history of the band Queen, but also shows that uh, pretty much the two major living member band members of Queen, Brian May and Roger Taylor, both had considerable input into this film into how they were portrayed. 
So it just kind of comes off as a toothless kind of reason to listen to Queen's Greatest Hits. There's a pretty cool concert scene near the end, but you can also see the actual concert footage on YouTube. Like, it, it, it's a movie that doesn't have a reason to exist and should, for all intents and purposes, not be in the Oscar conversation. Yeah, that's the that's the problem with making movies about about from the band at all is because you end up getting watered down versions almost always. Like yeah. Straight Compton, even as hard of an R ratings that might have gotten, it should have been even harder of an R rating considering like some of the stories that you can go read about with NWA. But because Ice Cube and Dr. Dre were like intimately involved with like the making of that movie, they're gonna be shown more glamorously. And the same thing well, I mean, with do, do, doesn't like Ice Cube's son play Ice Cube in the movie? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which like if they were casting for that, maybe his son still gets cast, but probably not. Yeah. And I think Bohemian Rhapsody has some of the same problems because that, that's what I had heard too is that their involvement was just like a ridiculous degree. The living band members. So. Yeah, they're all portrayed as like, you know, like, oh, we're the do-gooders and Freddie Mercury's out here living his posh lifestyle and he's so out of touch. But like, then at the same time, it, it like kind of blushes at anything resembling like his queerness and like, it, like it, it all kind of gets like thrown behind this weird wall of the PG-13 where you can't really show anything. Like, quite honestly, I, I expected that film to be a lot gayer and kind of wished it had been a lot gayer. That would have been more interesting, honestly. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it feels like such a missed opportunity. Like, they, they, they took such attention to detail in certain points, but then just, like, threw it out the window and so many other things. Like, I kind of reveal... Go ahead. Sorry, Max. Oh, no. I was just, I'm still frustrated by the idea that, like, a film about probably one of like the biggest queer icons in rock music uh, is also fully just about how he can't get over his ex-wife. Like that just felt wrong in a lot of ways to me. That felt like the wrong way to approach that. I kind of worry the Elton John movie is going to be the same way. Uh, the The trailers maybe offer a little more hope in that, but but I'm not sure yet. That strikes me as being more surreal than anything else. Like that, that seems like Taron Edgerton just like, doing something with the Elton John properties. I don't even know if it's like about Elton John or if it's like an Elton John type set with this music. Like it just seems, it seems more surreal and that already seems more interesting to me. Yeah. The Elton John one almost just seems like it could be like an across the universe sort of thing. Yes. And I want another across the universe. Like I got, I got bored a few weeks back and started watching videos like video clips from across the universe. And it's, that movie is still bizarre and nobody's done anything like it in a really long time. And I'd, I'd love to see more stuff like that. All right, Phil, did you land on an overrated? I think so. I, I didn't see Crazy Rich Asians or Bohemian Rhapsody, but I did see Inventors Infinity War. So I don't know how much of a hot... I don't know how much I did. I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but in hindsight, it's one of... It's probably the Marvel movie I'm least likely to revisit so uh like it, it's good but it, just compared to everything else this year it's it has like the least stain power even with that ending I mean, like only like three good marvel movies uh four I, I would i would say too philip that um the avengers movies of like all the marvel movies are probably the ones you're going to be least likely to rewatch anyway they're bad yeah well no i think 
I think this one was pretty well made, but like I definitely get the rewatchability thing. Like I haven't had much of an interest to rewatch it. It's not because I didn't like it. I liked it a lot when I went and saw it. That was fun. But yeah, but it was yeah, the movies just don't lend themselves to rewatchability as much because they're just all kind of plot setting and table moving. There are four. There are four Marvel movies that I like. Two, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and Doctor Strange. I don't think I like any of the other ones. Logan? Oh, yeah, Logan's good. I don't even think of that as, like, in the same... Because it's not... Did Disney do that? Or doesn't Fox still have that? No, that was Fox. 20th Century Fox did. Yeah, so it's not like the MCU. (laughs) Well, neither Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse one. I guess that's true. But anyway, uh, let's move on to underrated. I'll go first. I have three, and I'll just blaze through them really quick. Um, my first underrated was American Animals, which came out in early fall, I think, in wide release. And it was a Movie Pass Productions joint, RIP Movie Pass for all intents and purposes. Um, I've rewatched it twice since then and enjoyed it more each time. And probably if I'd watched it one more time right before we started talking, it would have made my top 10. Um, it's about a real life incident and it really effectively blends almost a documentarian style of filmmaking with narrative in a way that's sort of interesting. So I would definitely assign that one as being underrated. Um, the next one would be King in the Wilderness, which was an HBO documentary about Martin Luther King post really post. I have a dream speech um, when he started making more of a push towards integrating in the North with like busing and housing segregation issues. And some of the footage they found is just fascinating to see. There's a point where Martin Luther King is speaking, I think in Watts, like after the Watts riots in the mid sixties and some people in the background start heckling him. And it's just fascinating to see a portrait of a Martin Luther King who was a lot more human seeming and whose message had kind of fallen on deaf ears with quite a few people. And the movie got rated pretty well, but it, I haven't heard anybody talk about it in a long time, basically since the beginning of the year when it came out. And I think that's sort of a shame and lends to it being underrated. And then the last one is uh, Searching, which was oh, a... yeah. Yeah, Searching was a really good thriller uh, with John Cho. And I can't remember the girl who plays his daughter, but basically his daughter just doesn't come home one night and it turns into a missing persons movie, but it's all done through like the framing of a computer. So almost all of it you see like John Cho, like online through a webcam in different ways. And it's really well done how that unfolds and it's tense throughout. The pacing is really good. And some of the supporting characters in the movie are really well fleshed out. And it's just a, a really good concept executed really well. I, I mean, there's been a couple of other webcam type movies already yeah. um like unfriended which didn't really use it very well or cam which came out this year and was actually a good use of it and more of a horror vein than wonderful. thriller Although searching was rated pretty well yeah yeah but again it's another one that just kind of came and went so that's why it's yeah. on that. so you you like maybe think that the rating was was appropriate but the like fact that it's no longer in the exactly yeah it's we should still be talking about it yeah. Given that it, I definitely yeah. thought it was like a technical feat, really interesting. Like the whole thing on plays on a desktop of a computer, which sounds like it'd be really hard to do without just getting gimmicky and boring. And it really doesn't. What about you? Well, what's your underrated? My underrated is Peter Rabbit. 
Hell which, yeah. Which has a Metacritic score of 51, which feels pretty low to me. I don't think the movie is amazing by any stretch. I, I'm guessing it kind of suffered by the fact that even though it's a PG th- PG movie, it's got some like kind of darkness to it. Although I feel like a lot like older PG movies um, were even ostensibly for children were even darker. And it's almost like we're more sensitive now. Uh, the original animated Watership Down is like nightmare material. Yeah. Um, though I watched The Last Unicorn with Marley like a while ago and I was like, wow, this is kind of dark and intense <laughs> for uh, for a kid's movie. And this movie is PG, but it like deals with death. The characters die, death is referenced and stuff. But it's also like pretty solid rom-com with Domhnall Gleeson being himself uh, he's a great actor. He's pretty brings a lot to I think whatever role he does. And James Corden does the voice of Peter Rabbit, and pretty enjoyable. And so you just have a charming rabbit, some fun animals, and like a pretty decent romantic comedy at the center of it between human actors. So I thought it was just like a really solid movie, and not like Oscar worthy maybe, but deserving of better than a fifty-one average uh, Metacritic rating for sure. By the way, there was a controversy about Peter Rabbit. Um, <laughs> what was you it? Know what this mix? Do, you, do you want me to go into it? Because I can. No, uh, I was going to go into it. Uh, oh, I forgot one, about this. <laughs> in the first week after the film's release, groups in multiple countries criticized it for quote-unquote allergy bullying and called for an apology from Sony. The accusations focused on a scene where Thomas McGregor whose character has a known severe allergy to blackberries, is pelted with the berries until one enters his mouth, causing him to enter anaphylactic shock and grab for his EpiPen. In response, Sony published a statement saying, quote, we sincerely regret not being more aware and sensitive to this issue, and we truly apologize. Which, as someone who also has allergies, I don't give a fuck about that as an issue at all. That's incredibly stupid. I thought you were going to talk about the hereditary preview that played during a screening in Australia. (laughs) Oh, no, that's also amazing now. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, worth watching. It's totally enjoyable as an adult. Could if you want to watch a romantic comedy, I'd recommend Peter Rabbit. Pretty solid. All right, Philip, what's your underrated? Uh, Lean on Pete. I think it came out Ooh. in April. Nice. <laughs> and it, it's one of two like underrated horse movies this year. <laughs> the other being <laughs> The Rider, which is also good. You and your horse movies. <laughs> I think you just have a thing for horse movies. I kind of do. Like I, I could, I could be a cowboy. <laughs> Um, that would be horrible at it, I'm sure, but uh, but no, I, there were lots of solid performances in this movie. Great landscapes, obviously, it's the West. Uh, it's a good like road movie, which actually this is more of a road movie than a horse movie. Ultimately, the horse is the central character. What makes a horse but, movie a horse movie? Uh, there being like a central pivotal relationship between a person and a horse, I guess. <laughs> And or like told from the horse's point of view, which this movie is not, so it doesn't go there. At least. The horse is anthropomorphized. <laughs> um, no, it's oh gosh, I forget the lead in this movie, but uh, he's great. Um, he car- he carries the movie with and without the horse, put it that way. So uh, yeah, it's definitely worth visiting. I say, right, Max, what's your underrated? So my underrated is uh, Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. Uh, which came out, I think, like mid to late October. It yep. was not around for a long time. It was pretty, it's, it's got a sizable runtime in almost two and a half hours. 
but I stand in my take that it is the better version of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's considerably less racist, probably just as bloody, though nobody gets their testicles shot off. Uh, really, really fun cast as well. Uh, so it has the first film appearance of Widows' Cynthia Erivo, who I swear will be a star in the next five years, if not mm-hmm. earlier. Lady's already got a Tony and I think a Grammy. Like, she's incredible. She's great in this movie, too. It's her singing, like, old, like, Motown, like, stack songs. Yep. She's great. Jeff Bridges plays a uh, kind of sketchy priest. Uh, John Hamm plays a vacuum salesman who, you know, may not be all he seems. Dakota Johnson is, like, on the run. Uh, Bill Pullman's son, whose name I don't, I can't remember because I don't have it right in Lewis. front of me. Louis Pullman, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Okay. Louis Pullman plays the bellboy. And everybody there has something to hide. And it's it's kind of interesting. It gets into some really interesting political overtones as you get further into the film. There's a lot going on in this movie. It's going to be totally worth your time when you get around to it on VOD in the next, like, three it, months. It'll be – it's, like, a perfect, like, hungover HBO movie. Like, I, I think this movie's going to have a long tail on uh, on video. In some ways, in a, in a totally serious and good way, it almost makes me think of Clue also. Oh, but, like, yeah. I could see that. It has it has but a like, really fun, like disjointed, not not quite like pulp fiction where we're messing with your brains type of thing, but more like it's kind of an interesting way of like chopping up these stories in, a, in almost more of a novelistic way than anything else. Like I, I know people yeah. bristle at, you know, using novelistic to describe films. This this plays out like a fun, pulpy like novel. I that's kind of why I liked it. Like it, there, there's yeah, a lot I, going on and like there are reveals that are, you know, surprising and actually kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that movie was a lot of fun. Yeah, just no, nobody saw it. This is the same director as uh, Cabin in the Woods, right? Yes, yeah. and he directed, I think, all, most of Daredevil. Like he or he was like the showrunner on that. Like he, he's a weedonite. Like he's a dude who's like done a ton of work. Uh, you've seen you've seen his stuff before, and this this feels like a natural like next step. And I'd love to see what he's do, gonna do after this. I liked it too. It yeah. was less. Con- like uh, Cabin in the Woods, it was very much like immersed in this genre that it was kind of a love letter to. Although, yes. I would say less less like um, subversive in the way Cabin in the Woods was of the genre specifically. Oh sure, this 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 really leans uh, into the genre more than anything else. This is more more of a love note to it. Yes, but there were definitely definitely also performing some genre commentaries too. Mm-hmm. Like I could just I could just see the way in which it was like. It like you you compare it to the hateful eight. It had like a Quentin Tarantino things I like about it and things about Quentin Tarantino I'm gonna make fun of. I felt yes. I, I mean I, I think I think the thing is that Quentin Tarantino the hateful eight is like a really extra Quentin Tarantino movie. It's a movie that he shot in seventy millimeter and then set it entirely inside a cabin. It's basically the thing, but in a Civil War era cabin uh, with Confederate and Union soldiers and bandits and stuff. Like this takes that and it's like hey what if we set a movie in like the late sixties on the border between California and Nevada and like weaved in a bunch of stuff about like Kennedy conspiracies and Charles Manson and like Motown songs. Like it is a much better realization of that kind of story than what Tarantino had even thought about doing with hateful eight. Yeah. I, I was looking at some of the credit, like the people that wrote bad reviews of it. Of in a lot of uh, bad times. Yeah. Of bad times at the El Royale. And a lot of them seem to like say that it was too kind of like on the nose. I mean, 
sure but but i felt that it was like intentionally so in some ways that worked like they 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 would call it like almost pandering or self-indulgent or and then even at times boring and i was never bored for a second when i was watching that movie that wasn't either i yeah i i would i would agree with that as well and I just added it to my did did not see it list, so that's why I'm silent on this. Yeah, one. no, I, I just I, watched I, it I've today. I've been slowly adding some of that as well on my, on my end too. I mean, a Peter Rabbit, you can totally skip. I just think it was under it was too lowly rated. It's not like a must see movie of the year. Do we want to do uh, best actor and best actress, or do we want to skip over this? I mean, you can. I didn't really have anything for that. I don't. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. Okay, Max, I, 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 I have it. Quick. I, I have okay. it. If you want to go for All it, Jared. Right. All right, let's uh, do best actor first real quick. Yes. Uh, okay. I I've worry got, that you and I might have the same person for this, Jared. I've got two. Okay. My first one is Brian Tyree Henry. God damn it. That was mine. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about it together. So yeah. I'll just say what he did. So Brian Tyree Henry was in Hotel Artemis and had a good little part in that. Um, mm-hmm. He was in If Bill Street Could Talk, which I haven't seen, so Max can speak to Awesome. He that. was the voice of the dad in Spider Man and was Jefferson like amazing like father figure. Um, he was in White Boy Rick and was like a perfect FBI, just hard ass dickhead in that movie. And then in Widows, he plays a uh, what's his candidate? Candidacy for oh, Alderman? Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's uh, yeah. the rival Alderman candidate. In, yeah. uh, he plays an Alderman candidate with a really fucking sketchy criminal past and so knocks that too. one out of the park, too. So, yeah. Max, take it away. Yeah, so Brian Tyree Henry had a hell of a year. Like, n- not even just like talking about his film stuff, because like, dude was in like five movies, all of which were like pretty good and well reviewed, and like yeah. he damn near steals his segment in If Beale Street Could Talk, because it's just him and Stephen James, and that's like it's him, it's, it's those two guys talking about like the ways the system kind of keeps him down and the way that like the way it felt for him going to jail, and it's this incredible moment it's like i can't even remember if it's an unbroken shot and i've heard barry jenkins talk about it but it's 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 magical that that guy is a hell of an actor and should get more recognition for it uh and and, not, and, and on top of all of this he was in the second season of atlanta which is still probably the best show on television uh i, I was just re-watching an episode the second season just dropped on hulu a few days ago i was watching it before we were doing this tonight and, uh, New seasons on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Season two's on Hulu. All right, we need to wrap um, this up early. But, but I, uh, I, I started watching that. Like his episode, The Woods, and the episode Barbershop are two just like highlights for him. And on top of that, he was also in Kenneth Lonergan's Lobby Hero, which uh, had a Broadway a Broadway run earlier this year with Bell Powley and Michael Sarah and Chris Evans. Like yeah, he had a stupid good cast. Like after all, of, after Manchester by the Sea, they've been. They've been running a lot of Kenneth Lonergan revivals in uh, New York, and it's I they keep getting stellar cast for it. Makes me wish I lived out there. Yep. And then my other one uh, uh, is Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Joaquin oh, yeah. Phoenix was in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, where he plays a, an alcoholic uh, paraplegic writer and is funny in that movie and charming and also very serious and very like troubled because of he plays an alcoholic and just really fucking good um he was also in the sisters brothers which was almost my underrated pick because that movie was gone out of years in no time had an amazing cast it's him john c Riley, riz ahmed and jake gyllenhaal 
it's a really well-made Western that also manages to comment on like other Westerns and the nature of violence and how cyclical violence can be. Um, and speaking of how cyclical violence can be, he was also in You Were Never Really Here, which is going to be popping up my li- on my list in just a little bit. Um, and just was absolutely fantastic in that movie as well. So Joaquin Phoenix had an amazing year. And next year we got, or this year, fuck, I'm going to make that mistake a couple times in the next few days. Uh, we get to see him in the Joker movie, which I'm actually pretty excited about. So is that slated for the fall? Like when is that? When is that slated to come out? I, they I were think so. Just yeah. Shooting that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm surprised that's a quick him. turnaround. They were like, right. we have to get someone who no one could doubt could possibly surpass Heath Ledger. I mean, that that cast is already like, Todd Phillips said he wanted to make the king of comedy with the Joker. And so it's Joaquin Phoenix, Zazie Beats from Atlanta. Mark Maron is in it. I think <laughs> De Niro is involved in this. Like, it is, it is a surprisingly good cast for a movie that I did not care about a year ago. I, I love king of comedy. And as soon as I, I love heard. I king of comedy, too. As soon as I heard King of Comedy, that like made me even more excited. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Best Actress, I'll do mine real quick. I don't. I only have one for this. It was pretty easy. Uh, Tessa Thompson. Um, Tessa Thompson was in Annihilation as one of the scientists and is very. I don't even know. Like they're all damaged in different ways. Her her character particularly. So, um, She's in Creed 2 and is still doing an amazing job in those movies, and I hope they make another one because her and Michael B. Jordan's chemistry is amazing. Uh, she was in the Dirty Computer short film that Janelle Monae made, which was a lot of fun, um, and she's great popping up in that. And then she absolutely kicked ass also and uh, sorry to bother you. So best yeah, actor here, Tessa Thompson. Correct me if I'm wrong. She and Janelle Monae were, uh, were an item there for a minute, right? Yeah, yep. they were a couple. Yep, yeah. Still all right. I don't know. I just remember right around the time that record came out, they like kind of came out to the press on that. Like, it went public with that they were dating. All right, who was yours, uh, Max? So my best actress was uh, was Zoe Kazan, someone who I've been beating the drum for for probably five years now. Uh, ever since I saw her in the film What If, which is a movie that's on Amazon, uh, crazy good cast. It's her and Daniel Radcliffe and Adam Driver and Mackenzie Davis and like. Uh, is it Eric Bana? No, it's not Eric Bana. Rafe Spall. It's Rafe Spall. Um, she she's an incredible actress. And this year, not only was she in one of my favorite movies, uh, my favorite parts of one of my favorite movies, uh, she is in the uh the, in in the film The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. She's in the segment called uh The Gal That Got Rattled. I think that's the name of the section. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's in, she's great in it. She gets to she gets a lot. To, she probably gets the most to do out of I think a lot of the people in that movie and the vignettes in that movie. She is probably in the most straightforward of those vignettes, but she's really really quite good. And on top of that, she also wrote one of my favorite movies of this year, a movie that we'll be getting into in the top ten portion of this episode. Uh, uh, this year's uh, film, Wildlife, a film that she wrote that her uh, her partner Paul Dano directed. And on top of that, she also had a baby. Like, ladies killing it, just like going all over town, doing all of this stuff, and had a child. Like, that's she's yeah. The she's the doing thing, incredible. The I, thing I just, people might yeah. recognize her most from at this point still might be the big sick from last year. She played yes, Emily, yeah, yeah, and she's amazing in that too. So yeah, and I, I have a whole I, I've got this whole dumb theory about how I think that she saved the romantic comedy. Thought for another day, but she's incredible. Had a great year. 
go see the stuff she's, that she's done. Uh, Ruby Sparks, What If, uh, Big Sick, all of it. Uh, she's she's in a bunch of other stuff as like friends. She's I think one of the daughters, and it's complicated. Like she's someone you've seen in stuff before. And as I'm gonna beat the drum for many character actresses this year, next year, and for many years to come, and, she's somebody you're gonna want to watch. And by the way, one of the greatest say? directors in. Well, yeah, and, and her, her grandmother directed a movie that's called, uh, what, that was Wanda, the movie that came, that got back into popularity this year because it finally ran on TCM. Yes. Yeah. Like, she, she's from, like, a film dynasty and, like, kind of, like, cut her teeth and did some work on her own that, like, really worked. She, she's she's doing good. I'll, I will, I, once again, I will go see anything that she's doing, and this year is no exception. West, you please close the door. Certainly, Dr. Tycoon. I'm really fucking done with this conversation. Like, for real. Like, don't want to have it anymore. Like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just tired of having it.